Social media This is Sam Oser, your unconventional journalist, reporting on the movements that fight back Saturdays at 1.30 Central here at All Real Radio. Uh, so today we have a special guest uh, interview with uh, Miss Doris and David from the Northeast Action Collective. Um, they're part of the West Street Recovery Organization. Um, but what the topic of like today's interview will be like, um, so (laughs) climate change is getting worse guys. Um, it just is. And, um, how can neighbors help each other during disasters? Um, because the government isn't going to show up and help like they, they just aren't. Um, they say that they will, and they send red cross and they are useless. Um, Northeast Action Collective has been working on neighborhood efforts so that neighbors are helping neighbors during these times um, as things get crazier. And this information is important because you can take it back home to wherever you are. Um, You know, if you live uh, in the suburb, if you live in some apartments, um, wherever you are, neighbors can help neighbors during these times. So thank you so much, Ms. Doris and David, for joining me today to talk about these things because um, you guys have been out there doing the work and it's, uh, it's, it's great. <laughs> thank you. Ooh, let me see. Let me turn that up. Turn that up. So um, how long have you guys been working on the neighborhood community organization um, for helping each other during these uh, di- <laughs> disasters that come through? Almost uh, five years now. 
uh, the Northeast Action Collective um, began fi almost five years ago as a response to, to Harvey. We were frustrated neighbors because, like you said, the government and municipalities did nothing. And if they did come, they denied you, so you had to start doing it for yourself. And some of the neighbors and uh, community members, we got frustrated. And that's how the Northeast Action Collective came about. Yeah. Um, so uh, how how did so I know it came about from like Harvey, but how did you guys decide that, you know, we're going to start neighbors helping neighbors with our hub? We call it hub house plan. Um, we have five different hub houses, and these are really resilience places that people can come to when they uh because of all the disasters that are happening now. So we um, got together, and with the help of West Street, we set up f four houses so far, five. We're trying to decide where we're going to set it up in the different communities. So we, we, um, we have generators. We try to have something that would help with each and every disaster. We have kayaks, we have generators, solar batteries, um, <laughs> food. Yeah, food, medicine. Uh, we're trying to get extra clothes, uh, COVID tests, just to make sure, because we're, we're going to be in close quarters if there are people there at the hub houses. Right. Yeah. How did like how'd you guys get neighbors to, like, get get on board with it? Like, to, like, come to the houses and, like, help stock up and... Did you guys go door knocking or? Yes, we, we um, first we tried to set up a, a, a link, link tree. Okay. And so from the link tree, we were able to get more and more people, uh, more and more of our community and our neighbors interested. So um, after that, we decided to start setting up houses in the neighborhood. So we, uh, as we meet, we meet every other Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So we um, talked it out with the residents and everything in the neighborhood, and we decided if no one else was going to help, we are going to help ourselves. So the people in your neighborhood, had they, like, organized in that way before? Like, I, I mean, this work isn't supposed to be inherently political, but like it is. Did they see it as political organizing or just like neighborhood survival organizing? Neighborhood survival organizing. And had they ever done that before? No, we hadn't. No. Yeah. Um, what were some of the hurdles for trying to get people involved? Uh, I don't think anyone outside of our neighborhoods at first really thought that we were able to do it. And with the help of the neighborhood and the community, we realized that we needed to do this. We talked it over, we, you know, we throwed out ideas, brainstormed and stuff, and we decided that we'd do it ourselves. So, yeah. A lot of, a lot of our residents were on board for it. You know, they wanted someplace close to where they could call, they could go in case of an emergency or a disaster. Yeah. You well, know. so in my neighborhood, my neighbors don't really talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unless there is like an actual disaster happening. 
So like, how, how do you create that community conversation, um, ahead of imminent disaster? Because we become friends over the years, you know. Yeah. Even though we 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 are in the Northeast Houston, we have different neighborhoods, and so the different neighborhoods we started talking through uh, going out, knocking on doors, you know, talking to people, getting their ideas and everything, and we became we, we kind of became a family. Mm-hmm. We are a, I mean, a wide range of neighbors from the different neighborhoods. We kind of became family, so everybody know everybody. So that's how we really, that's how you build a relationship. And our relationship has led us to be an extended, large extended family. And everyone, and we're all inclusive and a diverse group. So it's, we we just get together and do what we do. Yeah. We look out for one another. It's not. Yeah. It's not just a. You know, we do this for me, and we. I do this for you. No, we. We just. I think at this point, we just genuinely care. You know that our neighbors are doing well, that they're healthy. Um, we you know we have our our WhatsApp, and we chat, and you know some of our residents go get surgery, and like tell them, well, good luck. I hope you're doing well, and you know we keep updating each other. Like we actually do. Uh, I feel like love each other. Right. Right. How many people uh, are like in like this? Well, I guess my question is like, how many hubs are there, and how many people are in each hub? About roughly. Mm-hmm. Well, at the present, there are four, but we are um, in the process of setting setting up a fifth one. And I think each hub house uh, has ten people that are on their roster, mm-hmm. but we help the whole community. Mm-hmm. We have a roster that's set up the people that come. We already know the seniors. We know their needs. And those are the first ones that we check on. But we have the rest of the community. We are set up to, to handle the whole community, yeah. neighborhoods and different things. Mm-hmm. And most of the neighbors in the different neighborhoods know that they have a place to come to that's close and going to be looking out for them, going to be helping them in time of crises. Mm. Um, so like for, for example, um, you know, we thought we were going to have another winter storm there for a second, you know, like earlier this year, what preparations did you guys take as a neighborhood community to like, make sure everybody was safe? What, what did that process look like? The hub houses were set up with those, um, heaters. Uh huh. So each hub house had 10 heaters and people were reaching out. We were delivering heaters to people whose, uh, um, you know, whose electricity, they didn't have enough heat in their houses, yeah. especially the seniors. And we check on the seniors and the uh, um, disabled first. We take, if one hub house run out of heaters, another hub house, if they're not passing them out or letting people, you know, use them, we just, between the four hub houses, we interchange stuff according to the needs of the different neighborhoods and people. Yeah. I guess I, if I want to add that before and before the, the last freeze came by, we did have sort of a community meeting 
where we got everyone's opinions like what do you think we need and and this is and sometimes we have the funds to get in uh like i think we're looking at blankets too right yeah and then getting enough heaters uh and hand warmers you know just in case we needed them and thankfully this year there wasn't too much of a, a need no, no, thank so, God. yeah, <laughs> it's, it's best when we don't have to use the hub house, but we're ready in case we do. Yeah, yeah. Also, well, so like the the hardest part um, to me is like because I'm not really an organizer, but like that's how a lot of people are, right? Like in their neighborhoods, they don't feel like they can organize people, right? Um, because they're like, I'm. I'm not political that way, even though th- this isn't a political situation. This is a failure of the government right. <laughs> and its survival mode. You know, people don't think that they can organize themselves, let alone organize their block. Um, so what tips would you give people um, who are like, you know, I would love to be a hub house for my neighborhood or try to um, create some sort of disaster plan for my immediate community? What kind of advice would you give them? I would tell them that if you don't know your neighbors, you need to get out and go out and talk to them. You know, run the idea past them, see if you can just set up and have a little meeting mm-hmm. at your house and explain to them and try to get them more involved in it. Yeah, I would brainstorm, find out who would, uh, whose house would be a hub house, and see if they had enough room for the supplies and everything, and everybody contribute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because it'll be a, like a port in a storm. Mm. Because everyone needs someplace close. Instead of trying to get down to George R. Brown or something like this, they need a place in their own communities. Sometimes you just got to look out for yourselves. Right. Yeah. How about you? What What did you learn during this time or with all this? Um, I suppose, well, one thing that's important in our little communities, a lot of working class families. Mm-hmm. So as when you bring those neighbors, um, uh, I also suggest, cause I think we learned this a lot when we want to get people together, <laughs> tell them there's food, Tell them there's food. <laughs> no matter what, just don't t- just have something, uh, at least water bottles and maybe some, uh, uh, tacos or something, you know, they'll come. And, but we also identify who, like, who are the electricians, the builders, and and let them know that, um, like, their knowledge is very valued, mm-hmm. and that if, you know, you know, they're probably going to do rebuilding their homes, but maybe they need some help from a plumber to help with plumbing, and then, yeah. and let them know, like, well, look, we're here for each other, and you know, we will. I mean, one one of these days, I'll pay you back with my own labor at least you know um but at some point like how we've done it we're just like we just give each other favor do each other favors for each other i mean eventually you you will become a family um um i feel like it like that's the case every time um because you'll feel like you kind of count on each other now yeah you don't have to just hopefully they'll pick up you know now we have a way of communication Oh, I guess that's another thing. We have our own WhatsApp, like I mentioned. Yeah. And it's a way of knowing who's ready to do what, who's in town, who's uh, who's has needs are are greater, especially the uh, our senior citizens and the disabled residents. Mm-hmm. You know, when can we go? Do we need to go get them or anything? You know. Right. Just just communication is very important at the 
like the hours before the disaster. So basically, like st- step one yeah. <laughs> for trying to like create uh, community care ahead of like disasters, like in your immediate neighborhood, is to go out to your neighbors, talk to them. Mm-hmm. And then um, be like, hey, you know, let's have a house meeting with food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like what you were saying, like address, um, like they put input on like what their needs might be mm-hmm. um, and try to incorporate that into the disaster plan. Right. right. So um, were there for is there an example that you guys have where, um, you know, you guys had this initial meeting on like. Uh, the disaster plan and people putting an input where you're like, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Right. We do that. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that like stood out during that time? Okay. We have, we now have sleeping bags and uh, we have stoves, propane stoves. We also um, had bought in the heaters and we have fans and stuff to address any needs. Um, and the generators, we don't use gas generators. We, all of them are pro. Well, they're dual, but we use propane. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, why? Why the uh, difference between like propane and gas? Uh, gas doesn't give you. Um, it stinks, and it, it stink, throws yeah. out carbon monoxide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, for health reasons and for environmental reasons. We use propane because I think it's safer and cleaner. But we do have those uh, dual-use uh, generators, just in case we do have to use gas. Right. We do hand out propane tanks to the hub houses. Okay. Um, but just in case we do need to use gas, in case those run out, because gas is easier to get to, I think. Yeah. And we do have that. And then we also have the solar generators. Should all else fail, we still have sunlight. Those will work. So we still have the option to uh, give people power, especially if they have a CPAP machine or something, right? So they're not uh, struggling during those times. Yeah. So, you know, you guys said that you created it um, right after Harvey, which was about five, six years ago now. Um, So after Harvey, things were just like insane. And then that's when you guys, you know, came to realize, all right, we got to do something, create a community hub. You guys created the community hub, um, and then you know Winter Storm Uri came. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how were you guys prepared for Winter Uri, and how did um, like how how did what you guys planned for how was that actioned during Winter Storm Uri? Okay, we like like David just said we have the um, WhatsApp. Uh-huh. We um, my house was a district distribution house um, some of the city officials had given us pallets of water and we had uh, uh, some of our other friends on the other side of town that cooked and prepared hot meals mm-hmm. and they would bring them out to the northeast side and we would deliver hot meals to the seniors and the people that didn't have food you know didn't have a hot didn't have a way to warm up food or anything so we did this for I think about seven or eight days, mm. and it, it 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 this is where the hub houses really originated from. Okay. Yeah, the uh, the thought because we 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 did this in a hurry. We used the first boots on the ground after an emergency. Yeah. You know, waiting on the government, on the municipalities, they <laughs> they they're missing in action when it's you know 
they show up about five or six days later. What What, what is that? So we had to do it ourselves. Yeah. And this is where the clubhouse idea really originated. Because Yuri showed us what we didn't have, what we what we didn't have at that time. And that made us brainstorm with, with the community and come up with more things that we needed so we could try to, co- to cover all kinds of disastrous events. Yeah. Um, let's take a short little music break and then we'll jump right back in.
And we are back with Miss Doris and David. So we were just talking about having uh, hub houses in communities to be like a, uh, the first point group of uh, like any sort of climate disaster that were to happen. Uh, so that way people have a place to go when um, climate apocalypse strikes and people need uh, necessities. Uh, but something that we didn't quite touch on is, you know, the hub houses that you guys have, you know, there's generators, sleeping bags, solar panels, um, medicines, EpiPens, all that. But the, the funding of it, like getting the money for it. Um, could you speak to how people could um, like stock up to have that in their, their homes or in the hub house of their community? Um. We do fundraisers. We also apply for grants. The EPA has um, a lot of grants coming down now. And once you set up your community, y'all get a plan, you, you start looking for grants. And there are plenty of grants out there now because of all this impending climate justice. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Oh, so people go like epa.gov or like how does that work? You can go to epa.gov, you can go to grants.gov, and there are some there are some places in Houston here that offer grants, mm. but they are you know they're four and five thousand, maybe up to ten thousand. The city of Houston has a, a grant plan too. But, um, yeah, that's the city of Houston. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, if people aren't able, like, you know, let's say, you know, they're trying to, you know, this person in their neighborhood, you know, has gotten with their community, everybody's on the same page, and now they're working to gather supplies to have for the hub house. You know, they're waiting for grants or, you know, they're, they're trying to... Um, recruit like built put in the equipment for their hub house uh, maybe they can't afford like a generator straight up but like what are some of the key items they should have um, for disaster prep before getting to the larger ticket items uh, water uh, non-perishable foods medicines you know, kind of like a first aid kit. Okay, let's see what else. Well, it's like it depends. Uh, well, it depends. If it's, I, I would see if, like I said, those are important. Uh, if you have a way to keep them preserved. Okay. Um, and I guess it depends on the disaster. Uh, like with during flooding, we do have life jackets. Um, you don't necessarily need a kayak, but if you just need to save yourselves, a good life jacket is enough. Mm -hmm. And for freezes, we do keep uh, blankets. Um, you know, it's 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 just the, like the bare minimum. But you know, once you have that already, and next year you you have funds for the another thing. Like e each year, our house are going to keep growing with tools and and supplies that we need. And since you know we lend them out, but they come back, so it's okay. We're, we're next year. We're just gonna keep getting better at it. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's okay to start with small things, and you can just keep building up from there. So like you know, so like base level is you know food, water, meds, mm -hmm. 
But second level, you're talking about um, uh, tools. Like, what would you use the tools for? Uh, well, if because we also have a disaster recovery plan, and so once the disaster passes, we assess what damages have been done. And there's some neighbors who pipes have burst or the flood has damaged their drywall. And so we rip that out. And it's, it's not a quick thing. It's, you know, it's, it's a little, get a couple volunteers out who know what they're doing. And then some people who are at least willing to help. Okay. And we start doing repairs, um, you know, so we can get back as normal as possible. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Oof. Oof. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and each hub house has a, a, a um, what's that? Where you turn the water off? I forgot the name. Oh, the, the water key? The yeah, key. the water key. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, we have one yeah. of those too, yeah. And, you know, with, with all the broken pipes, you know, we went around the neighborhood and cut off their water stuff because a lot of people didn't know how to cut their water off. Mm. So we, we did that, you know, like I said, we boots on the ground with each one, each little disaster. I don't know why I said little, because they're coming more frequently. So it's not a question of if, now it's when. So yeah, you know, trying to stay prepared. Yeah. You know, we were talking about that, you know, earlier um, about how, like, for me, I don't remember a world without consistent disasters. <laughs> Uh, but but you do um could you speak on on what that was like (laughs) oh it was beautiful you could go outside look up see stars constellations we used to have lightning bugs crickets rub their legs together at night and make music it was just even in the 60s when carla hit it was it was not as devastating as the, the disasters are now. They have gotten more frequent and just, I don't know, climate change brought about a whole bunch of stuff that we just, that I can't fathom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so like these stars that you're talking about, you like in downtown, like in Houston, Yes, in Houston, in Cashmere Gardens. I grew up in Cashmere Gardens. And you could, you could hear the hummingbird, hummingbirds at the flowers. You could see the bees um, getting honey and stuff. It was, it was just marvelous at that time because no one had any idea. The trees would bloom. You know, it was just, it was nice. When we did have um, Hurricane Carla, our front ditch filled over with water because we have open drain, open dish draining out there, and we used to get those little mud buds. Mm-hmm. Now they're so popular. Yeah. At that time, they weren't. You yeah. Know, we want the people weren't eating them up now like they are now, <laughs> calling them crawdads and all that yeah. kind of stuff. You know, we'd just pick them up, throw them further down the water so they wouldn't pinch our toes while we was out there playing in the ditch. I have so many good memories of that, and then I don't even remember when you could look up and didn't see stars at night or constellations. It was, you know, it just seemed to just sneak up on us. The air got bad. <laughs> it was just 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just kind of happened at some point. Yeah. It, it's, and it happened, and it wasn't great. It wasn't. It was kind of gradually at first, and then I think around the seventies or the eighties, it just kind of took off, and we we started having more disasters. And each time we have one, it seems to be worse than the one before. You right. know. So I don't know. David. Oh well, I'm. Uh yeah, um, I was born in 91, so everything is pretty recent, like like these, and, and, it, and it has felt like it's gotten worse for me as well, Not it, but it, it started out a little bad, because I, I was remembering when Hurricane Allison in, 90, in 97 came by, and my mom's a, a short lady, and you know my dad would be at work, so she didn't know how to drive, so she would have to walk to the grocery store. Uh, with the water up to her her chest, and uh, to the fiesta down the st- down on the other side of the freeway, just to get food for us during during that time, if there were if whatever was left. Um, and now I feel, I mean, I I I, I don't see the stars as as well as I do when I'm not in Houston. I suppose cause sometimes we go to Mexico. Yeah. And there's less cars, less driving and you can see the stars real clear. And I know what, you, what Miss Doris is talking about, but you don't, I don't see that here in Houston. You see maybe hands, like maybe you can count on your hands how many stars you can see maybe. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Uh, I can't like, I live, uh, I live over by Baybrook mall. So like mm-hmm. I'm not in Houston proper. I'm in mm-hmm. the suburbs and like, I can't like, I can see maybe eight stars. Mm-hmm. Like if that, I don't have any, uh, we have like a little bit of fireflies. Um, we definitely have a lot of birds. Dear God, we got a lot of different birds. Um, but like hardly any fireflies, mm-hmm. um, hardly any stars. Um, and like when the uh, plants are doing their thing, I can see it over the horizon when I'm driving. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, yeah, I've, I've never known uh, a world without <laughs> consistent disaster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's even hard to see the North Star at night. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I've ever actually seen the North Star. Well, for me, it's the only one in the sky now because I can't see on a cloudy night or something like that with all the pollution in the air. Mm-hmm. That is the only star I see peeking out. And when I said peeking out, that's what I mean, peeking out. You know, like they used to say, follow the North Star. You can't find the <laughs> North Star. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Man. You know, it's just, um, it's it's crazy, like, having these, um, like, conversations, especially, like, the, the intergenerational conversations and, like, how um, the idea of having community hubs as like a means of survival because of this, like it always just kind of blows my mind that not everybody can even fathom that Um, or like thinking of ways to operate outside of the government. Um, So when, when did either of you, whoever wants to go first, realize that the work that you had to do had to be, community-based work because the government wasn't coming when did you realize 
I think I realized that the first time I flooded. Um, when was the first time you flooded? I'm trying to remember now. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I know that FEMA finally came to the house. I think FEMA, for some reason, there are too many barriers. I think they come to deny you, not to help you. And since Harvey, FEMA came within two weeks, denied me. I already expected that. And I'm still waiting on the Red Cross. And that's when, t 2017? Yeah. yeah. Red Cross hasn't got there yet. Wow. So this is what, this is our thought, this is my thought pattern on this. This is why the uh, hub houses are so important for each community to look out for themselves because we know that the mu municipalities are slow, the government is a no-show, and the state of Texas, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. How about you, David? Well, I suppose my family would always complain about the government not doing anything. Um, but I suppose I didn't see it um, really affect us until um, Katrina when we were all huddled. Like, m my uncle, was, his family stayed with us, and, you know, we have a house with stone kind of covering in ar around the outside, so we were fine from debris, but the roof, uh, you know, the roof uh, had leaks all over it, so we applied to, you know, have that repaired, and we waited, and we waited, and it, that was the night, so we just we did it ourselves, and... After that, I guess I kind of was like, well, this never cared about us here yeah. in, our, in the neighborhood. I don't know. Like, it, it wasn't really hitting me yet until I got into university. And then we learned that a lot of these, like, we have to do a lot of community outreach because even just the industries that um, kind of work alongside it, like even uh, was it um we also had a some of our community members complain about a uh, habitat for humanity right yes that they weren't doing like the work as well as they sh should be or as cleanly right and you know these are well established foundations and they still weren't up to the task cuz they don't know what these like these individual communities need Mm -hmm. I was a little disappointed and that's when I started just going uh, had a friend that would who's from La Laredo and she was an activist and she was like well there's she was we were getting more involved in activism here in Houston to just actively and directly engage with the communities and I did actually didn't know about the Northeast Action Collective up until uh, it's second year and it's my community. I had no idea this was happening like maybe a mile down the road. Yeah. Uh, it was crazy. It's like I, I've been looking for a way to help my community and I had no idea. I, I guess I wasn't looking hard enough or right. there wasn't uh, NAC wasn't out, out there to, to uh, as big as it was now. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad I found it. I'm glad because yeah. now I, I, 
I can do something, right? Now I, I can go with my own two hands and put some drywall up, uh, hand out food. Uh, you know, that is a thing. These are things actually getting done. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I remember when Harvey happened. So, like, I have my, like, feet in, like, two different worlds. Like, I'm seeing mm-hmm. everything. And, like, you know, over where I live, there's a lot of, like, well-to-do people. Um, and they were getting approved by FEMA, like, immediately. Houses recovered within a year. Mm-hmm. And then, meanwhile, you know, I was watching the Harvey um, Survivors Caucus and like here we are five six years out and their houses still aren't fixed right um and they're in a completely different you know class bracket right a lot of this recovery has to do with class privilege and in a normal functioning government where people our government would like take care of people it would you know we would be prioritizing right (laughs) those who are less able right or less financially able and that's never what we run across ever yeah (laughs) See, our neighborhoods and communities have been historically disenfranchised and discriminated against. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is what we call the system. Yeah, that's part of the system. They do not address the worst first, if they do at all. And I, If anything, uh, so I remember, um, you know, there for a second, I reached out to the Harvey Survivor caucus because I was curious to see um, how many calls they were getting from developers a day and some of them were getting upwards of like 20 calls a day Um, so not only is it like purposely divested and disenfranchised but it's like set up for failure quote-unquote failure so that way the developers can come in and gentrify it Mm -hmm. what's um, what's your experience with that like with with that part of it, because that's also part of the after. After the fact. Well, I'm a member of the Harvest of Forgotten Survivor Caucus, and they did not the the GLO who were having the money for the disaster. They um, that criteria is not meant to include repairing us our neighborhoods, who, who, who are the worst for us and should have gotten that criteria just racist. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. It's racist. It is. Yeah. Hands down. So there, <laughs> it's set up, like you said, it's set up to fail us. It's set up to fail our neighborhoods, black BIPOC neighborhoods. It, it does nothing. We're cut out of the disaster money. Mm-hmm. And this is every time. And if FEMA does something for you, it's, it's not enough. Because some people have lost everything. And they're still struggling today trying to get help. FEMA just came through with, a, oh, we found some more money. You've been had this money all along. Mm-hmm. The state of Texas has had this money all along. It's still nothing. Yeah. You know, I mean... You would think that they would, they sit up, they look at this data from 10 or 15 years ago and want to tell you what you need in your neighborhood. How do you know if you never come and see? Mm-hmm. How do you know if you don't put boots on the ground? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, I can't yeah. say no more. About that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah. How about you, David? Uh, I guess. Um, what was the question again? Like the the post, you know, after because you know the system basically set up to fail, right? right. Um, especially when it comes to uh, black and brown neighborhoods, because mm-hmm. like I was saying, like when like over where I live, the the people who were well to do mm-hmm. got FEMA like immediately you know, and were rebuilt within a year. And then, like, they didn't have to deal with developers or gentrification coming at their door. Right. Um, how, what was that, like, post-recovery for you after Harvey, after Yuri? I guess we just stopped relying on, I mean, after Katrina or Rita, I mean, um, we just never asked. I mean, we just kind of rebuilt. I mean, a lot of people in my family knew how to rebuild, and we moved on. Um, and I didn't realize just how how rigged this whole thing is against us until I started working with NAC. Mm-hmm. Um, just to see how the policies are just designed to benefit uh, these rich, uh, rich developers and 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 not only that i guess i guess i I realized too that the way this city is built like the amount of highway construction amount of concrete they put down Mm -hmm. the businesses that go up it's all meant to benefit them those businesses rather than us and i for example Right where Little York and 59, um, East Texas Freeway is, they have a bunch of uh, fast food restaurants, couple of, of uh, chain block, cha- chain uh, big box stores. Yeah. Right? There's a Home Depot there. And they got, uh, they beautify that area, you know, because before I think it was just an abandoned car lot. Mm. Um <laughs> And that that got new drain. They started putting new drainage to put new streets in that area. And if you go past the railroad tracks that are further down, those streets are beat up. You know that that those railroad tracks actually retain water. Oh. So where the people actually live, we're forgotten. You know this this is just the the front facade. You know this is look look at all these beautiful stores. Come spend your money here, and don't go past the the last store right because that's where no we don't care about them and you shouldn't care about them either right and that's you can see the discrimination right there yeah well and also like you know they're building new drainage and as you said you know it's going and like flooding the railway but in turn it's flooding you guys to like try to push you out Mm -hmm. basically exactly that's what it is and they're trying to tax us out too Mm -hmm. but a lot of these developers got these land banks where they moved it where they swooped in because some people weren't able to get the houses fixed and they just moved on and left the houses they had a silent auction i guess and they bought up a lot of the property that wasn't used that um you know people had left and got foreclosed on and this is how they start moving in gentrifying your neighborhood they really i i don't know where they expect us to go but you know they try to move you out and then I hear the words affordable housing. And my mind immediately thinks, affordable for who? Affordable for mm-hmm. who? 
Not for us. Yeah. You know, they want to buy your house. Every day I get five to six offers to buy my house. I've been there 56 years. They want to offer me peanuts. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay there till I go. Yeah. That's mine. Yeah. You know, and I'm fight for it. And like, you know, so I, I report on the movements that fight back. Right. And I kind of have my eye in as many places as possible. Right. And I see this happening in like Pasadena. I see this happening in League City. Um, I have a friend who lives in the old part of League City. Um, and like there's development happening around her. And as that development happens, it's flooding this old part of League City, mm -hmm. and they raised her taxes from 3% to 15%. And the neighborhood had to get together to fight it and negotiate negotiate it to like 5%, even though she was paying 3% before. Um, and like, it's this isn't, I mean, you know, it's very, you can see it happening fast paced in Houston, but it's not isolated in Houston. No. And no. like where over where I live, over by Baybrook Mall, I can see the gentrification pushing in from Galveston and Houston. And it's like pushing from all different ways. Um, and like it's all connected. And that's what's so important. Like, you know, we're talking about some of these more difficult topics. And we're not, I'm not trying to like trauma bond or trauma porn or any of that. It's so people know that they're not alone. You know, like... Right. I, as you're listening, you're you're not alone. Like here's here's Doris and David. They're experiencing a lot of the same things you are, um, and you can take this stuff back to your communities, <laughs> and, yeah. and we can we can do this. But anyway, let's take a quick music break, and then we can get more into the like call to action kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I won't argue that it was a no-holds-barred, adrenaline-fueled thrill ride, but there's no way you could perpetrate that amount of carnage and mayhem and not incur a considerable amount of paperwork. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
Hello, everybody. We are here about to wrap it up with Miss Doris and David uh, about the community care uh, into building disaster plans within your neighborhood. Um, so we spoke on their experience with the uh, neighborhood hubs and uh, building up supplies and how you could do that in your neighborhood. And if you missed this entire interview, that's okay. You can replay it. I look up Unconventional Journalist on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the replay there, and I'll be sure to link uh, anything that we discussed. Um, but in this last part, so you guys had mentioned to me that um, you guys are going to start trainings so that people can have uh, start creating their community hubs and whatnot. And, and take that information and that knowledge and bring it back home to where they are. Um, could you speak on like those trainings and what it would entail and that kind of stuff? Yes, uh, we have trainings. Uh, we invite the neighborhoods, and like David said, we have food and, and drinks and stuff to show the, the people that not a part of us what they can find at the hub houses. We do trainings, we show them the generators, we start up the generators, we show them how to um, start the generators, uh, we, show them, we, sh we show them the contents of the hub houses. And this, well, I guess you could call this capacity building too, you know, because mm. when people come there and see that we're trying to help the neighborhood and the communities, a lot of them join, so um, every, every house, does a, tr a neighborhood kind of training. Yeah. So, uh, David, I think you can speak more to that. Right. So these next couple of months, we're hoping to each hub house uh, has their own kind of like get together, get to know each other event. Um, hopefully to just to get all these uh, neighbors because not every every one of them is an active member of NAC okay they just sort of um, are aware of the, the the resource but hopefully we can get them uh, acquainted we can get everybody acquainted with each other uh, and the supplies and how to use them um, and we're also planning um, a CPR training uh, event and this arrest and a slash stop the bleed training um because we're aware that uh especially during disasters that medical staff and personnel are are and those resources are stretched thin and so we just need to have some way of like some if you get your hands cut or your arms whatever cut on debris you know we know how to you know tourniquet that we know how to resuscitate someone who might have uh passed out say for a heat stroke you know or just uh, had a cardiac arrest you know we just know how to do cpr to help them yeah uh, just little things that we can prepare for right we can't do we can't do full-on surgery but <laughs> right <laughs> you know we just not en just en buy enough time so we can uh, all we can do is put them on the back of a truck and take them to the hospital and do something on the on the way there or before we get there it's more more than enough right it's m better than nothing and I, th I think it's great to have that uh, knowledge um, for any reason. And when we have these trainings, we also invite other organizations mm -hmm. from around Houston and those that are interested in something like this 
because I think it's important that we do outreach and let everyone know what we're doing. You can get your civic clubs. You can talk to your neighborhoods in other areas. So we bring them to one of the hub houses and we do trainings. We show, you know, like I said, we show them everything that we have. And uh, we're also passing on booklets and everything, showing them we have uh, showing them what, what it takes and, you know, how to. Yeah. And uh, it's called We Collaborate. Mm -hmm. So we work with other organizations like COCO, uh, SEER, and um, By Your City Waterkeeper, and Living Hope, yeah. you know. One, one of the things that we talked about before coming on was uh, language justice and, you know, equity. Um, you know, how does that tie into the work that you do? We don't let language be a, a barrier. We have those, um, we have translators. We have, uh, we instituted where, because we have a lot of Latinx in our group. We have uh, language justice where they, we have those little things that you can clip on, you know, when, you're, when, you, when you come in. Mm -hmm. And we have, in our meetings, we have interpreters. And they interpret the meeting in English and Spanish. Mm. So far, those are the only two languages that we, um, you know, out there. Yeah. So for each meeting, there we have two interpreters, one that translates to English and the other one that translates Spanish, you know, so. Yeah. And that's all, that's all volunteer. That's all community care. Yeah, that's all community care. <laughs> we don't leave no one behind. We're all inclusive, you know. That's why we know the contractors in the neighborhood. We know uh, we do training um, for disaster prep, like home home building. You know, it's like I said, it's one big happy family. It's not only that, but we have a couple of members of our community who are blind. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure we ha we actually institute a a rule to make sure people speak clearly and slowly and then if we show graphics we explain everything to them mm. you know what what's what even what the colors are uh and then reduce text on the chat because some of them have a uh a software that reads the, the, the chat back to them okay to make sure that the words are being um uh, i guess it's not too much as like people speaking over each other over the text yeah. You know? yeah no we just make sure everyone's comfortable everyone able to understand each other and everyone can speak so we uh, what's the thing we, the thing we do with the the walkie-talkie format where i say <laughs> if, uh, if i'm speaking say hi i'm david i say what i'm gonna say and i say over that way the person who is blind knows who who is talking and when they stop talking and that's in the whatsapp no like that's in ours oh, that's like our zoom and zoom calls and okay. then our live meetings yeah yes. yeah there's so much love. Yeah. We, we, we are caring. We, I told you we're an extended family. We are one big happy family. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we work together. We play together. You know, we go, you know. Yeah. That's, I, I think, you know, um, so like the way the system is set up, not only is it set up to fail, right, it's also set up for isolation and division. Right. Right. Um, and... I think the work that you guys are doing is a testament 
to building outside of that and and it's just like a, a very sobering sweet reminder that not only can you build outside of that you can build it with love and care right yeah like it's yeah um before we sign off uh for this interview do you guys have any last thoughts sentiments that you want to share with people yes I think that if you step up and step out and get more involved in what's happening around you, it, you can educate yourself. You can find out, uh, you can find a group or uh, some organization or something that you can join and carry it back to your neighborhood. I mean, it's, it's out there and we have to do it for ourselves. We can't depend on the municipalities, the government, the feds, nobody. We have to start depending on ourselves. Our neighborhoods, the people in the neighborhoods, we have to extend this, that love and care to all. Mm -hmm. And I just think that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta look out for your neighborhood, not only yourself, but your neighbors. Yeah. So. Are you, David, do you have any last stuff? Yes. Um, just to address like a concern I've had with people my age group and younger, I'm, 31 so I'm not that young but um, just I know there's plenty of young people who are worried about the future that there may not be one you know I understand that anxiety very well and but we still have the desire to help people we still have the desire to do good, good things even great things if just by being there and I think if you are worried that you can't you're not knowledgeable enough it's okay I didn't know what I was doing when I started either I just first thing I did with NAC was door knock and like oh I can knock a door and tell people stuff and yeah that's easy you know and then I got more and more involved and you know they trained me they helped me with uh care and lots of patience but <laughs> I mean, it, it, look, if, if you're in high school or a university and, you know, there's groups out there that are ready to do it. Because, I mean, I was in architecture school and there was groups that just within the architecture college that would uh, help uh, LGBTQ plus um, people who were environmentalists, uh, pro-unionists. I mean, that, that was a hard one with the dean. <laughs> we yeah. are, we're always uh, bumping heads with her, <laughs> but uh, you know. But if you, and if those things aren't there, go ask them anyway. I'm sure there's they're connected. We're all connected, and we they know somebody that knows someone that can help you achieve or join a group that uh, more aligned with your goals, and um, that way you can help the community in the way you see fit and you think is best suited to your skills. You know, and learn more, and, and you might find out, like I did, that there's a community right down the street that needs your help, and in your community. Yeah. So, just ask. So I think that everyone should just step outside of themselves and find out what's going on and get involved in something yeah. that'll help all. Yeah, and well, and like something, something I try to like communicate to like younger organizers or 
not necessarily young, anybody getting involved in community work for the first time, you don't necessarily have to go to Houston to do community work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 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 Community work is where you are. It is your community around you, right? Um, And you can learn from those in Houston, but you don't necessarily have to be in Houston to take that knowledge back with you. Um, And that's, that's good. That's good and well. Um, And like, and also everybody has a place in the movement, right? So whenever I first got started with my work, I was trying to advocate for legalizing weed. And then I was like, wow, this is all so messed up. I'm going to try focusing on policy change. Mm -hmm. And that was even more messed up. Um, and then, you know, I found my place as like journalism, as my activism, Mm -hmm. and that's where I've landed and everybody has their own way. Um, and you just got to find out what works for you. Um, and it could be just as, as wonderful as being a neighborhood hub. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, y'all. Um, that's all we've got for you today. Thank you so much again for taking time to join me and uh, talking about y'all's work. Um, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having us. <laughs>